I'm Lisa Lancer-Rose. And I'm Anne Labar. And this is This Animal Life. And today we're talking about dogs and domestication and who domesticated who, whom, who domesticated whom, Um, I'm not sure. an interesting thing that just happened with wolves that people are all like goo-goo-eye about. Oh, I can't wait. It's very cute. Basically, there's sort of the two uh, main theories are that we domesticated them. I mean, big overview. We domesticated them, they domesticated, or they domesticated us. According to a lot of the studies and stuff I was looking at, I looked at New Scientist mostly. That's like my favorite magazine. Uh, It's out of the UK, but I... um, it used to be when Carl would travel, he'd bring me home. He'd bring it home to me. But I have a digital subscription now. They have done quite a few articles on the domestication of dogs. So I was surprised. I had written an article a long time ago. They must have rehashed it because it was a January 2021 article about the domestication. And I also looked at the Smithsonian a little bit and National Geographic. Those were the three that I kind of hit big on. But, you know, how did they go from being our rivals to uh, to our pals? And it's a good it's a good question because we all know that they come from every dog came from a wolf and they don't know when at first they thought it was like 14,000 years ago. But they've recently done some more genetic studies and say it's up to 40,000 years ago. Okay. So between 15,000 and 40,000 is a long time. But genetically, it gets muddied because they seem oh. to see proof that they've been domesticated more than once. No. Yeah. And it makes sense. The world's a big place. They originally thought, or still, I think the, the main theory is that they came out of Asia, I believe. Because sometimes you hear it. Is it the coyote? Is it uh, the pariah dog? Right. Is it the wolf? Or do we just want it to be the wolf because we romanticize the wolf? I think so too, because they were our, our dear enemies and we have this long history of killing them and them killing us and them being this sort of evil presence in the European forest. Here you go. There's a article in National Geographic that I didn't read. There was people and dogs, a genetic, a genetic <laughs> love story. Yes. So romantic. It is. is. I feel it. It's beautiful. And they, they even genetic, (laughs) I'll get into this a little bit more, but there's genetic, similar genetic information from both people and dogs that predispose us to being very social. Okay. Oh, Europe or Asia. It isn't clear whether they came out of Europe or Asia. I always picture it as Europe because of the whole wolf in the woods thing beauty and the beast she's running he's running away from yeah our folklore yeah all our folklore Mm -hmm. and it's our folklore so that's how we know it there is a a, the oldest known dog burial is from fourteen thousand years ago and Mm -hmm. saying that that would show that they were firmly installed firmly entrenched in being our pets um, and our companions but the theories are you know there's a couple of theories there's the hunter theory the hunter theory that humans domesticated wolves to be hunting partners. They really, really, okay. really or, doubt that. That's highly doubted. But I have read some, I don't know where, that one possibility is that we saw, we observed them hunting and copied them. 
So we were learning from them and maybe they were watching us and going, oh, look, yeah. <laughs> look <at those> guys. <laughs> mimicry is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, really. <laughs> I really like these guys. Hey, they're not as dumb as we thought. <laughs> and then we put one of their heads on our Yeah, and danced and, around. No, and then they're like, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we have a long history of, like I said, killing each other. <laughs> I, do they kill us? Oh, yes. yes. Huh, because I remember seeing, I had this record album with I think it was narrated by, was it Paul Newman or Robert Redford? It was a, a record and it told the story of uh, wolves, or I guess it was all about wolves and it had wolf howls oh, okay. on it. And I listened to it over and over and over and over again. And one of the things he's, I remember him saying on that record album, which I would really <laughs> like to find now, now that I think about it, what a cool thing to have. I don't have it anymore, but um, that there was one, not one known oh, case okay. of a wolf attacking a human. Okay, that could be because you know the same goes for killer whales. Orcas. Really? Oh yeah, orcas have no. What? They've never attacked people. What about blackfish? Blackfish, orcas, same thing. Um, no, the movie Blackfish. Oh well, that's different. In the wild, that attack was from the psychotic, poor one that they had in captivity i mean there's been a couple there yes. were a couple attacks at sea world but there might have been um like a a, a rabid wolf yeah that would know, definitely or, or be a cornered wolf i think folklore is wolves being evil in the forest and attacking as a pack and attacking children and dragging children off into the into the forest like those are boogeyman yeah. stories maybe maybe they may maybe. just be boogeyman stories. um i wouldn't doubt food scarce that they would go after small children but absolutely yeah. humans have done this. exactly <laughs> so they discount that whole there's also the theory that they captured wolf pups and raised them they doubt that because of the inst they instinctually wolves instinctually would i wouldn't say attack but yeah attack us or they're a wild animal they would not domesticate well i mean as a wolf pup if you raise a wolf pup you're still putting yourself in danger that's a they what's all this about women breastfeeding wolf pups oh yes well you know again <laughs> laura because that gave i could totally do um, that oh god <laughs> talk about biting you usually quit with your kids once they get peed because instinctually they are afraid of us they avoid us so if you're just pulling a, a wolf pup out of a, an, a litter, it wouldn't necessarily be successful once in a while kind of thing, but it wouldn't always go very well. It still isn't. Yeah, it still yeah. isn't. I mean, they're not good no, pets. They're not good pets at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all. And because it was, it, in so many ways, it's extraordinary. And dogs and human relationships are, are very extraordinary. But they think that one of the things about dogs domesticating themselves or wolves domesticating themselves is the campfire theory okay that they tossed food that we were an easy food source there's that great meme i put up about the wolf he's like crawling through the snow like low kind of like a border collie like walking through snow like oh, i'll just go over there and you know get some meat at the fire what you know what could happen and then right. they have ten, tens of thousands of years later and then it shows like greyhounds and crocheted hats and you know, like what's, what's the worst <laughs> thing that could happen uh, <laughs> oh little do you know uh, <laughs> oh it's so sad 
the is this the the flight distance yes. theory? And that Ooh. that the you know that they slowly got closer and closer. Is that what you mean? That uh, animals have uh, an innate distance at which they will get frightened run, and run. Right. I, and I guess we have it too. Sure. And it's measurable. Um, so some it's something to do with birds and any oh, other sure. creature that you can get so close to them. Like the chickadee has a really short flight right. distance. So you can get close yeah. to a chickadee. But then there are other birds, like the Lord God bird, I right. guess, that you never see because it has such a big flight distance, right. if, if they're even still yeah. out there. So, and flight distance varies among individuals, say, even in the same litter. Mm -hmm. So these dogs that right. you're talking about would approach a fire, but some of them would be a little more seemingly reckless or bold right. and would come closer or stay longer. Right. And then others were easily spooked. Right. And the ones that would get closer yeah. became accustomed to people. And plus, they got stuff for it, which was awesome. Yes. Eat an easy an meal. An easy meal. And so they were hanging around. And, and then they bred with each other. Right. And then they get um, one of the things is the uh, Russian fox study where okay. the guy, and of course, I'm not going to have any specific, but it wasn't that long ago, a Russian scientist picked out the friendliest fox pups. They tested them okay. all if they were a little more calm or they didn't have that much of a problem with people. He would then breed them. And okay. they then developed in a very, very short amount of time. And I wish I had the information on how many generations it was, but it was not long. They developed, you know, floppy ears, more puppy-like appearances and behavior. And okay. the same thing happened with dogs. They got the, the speckled so. coats, the floppy ears, puppy behavior that stuck around. And so they retained, this is um, neoteny. Okay. That where they, re, the T-E-N, um, the, the word geek, <laughs> T-E-N is in tenacious ah, to, to hold on. Okay. And neo as a new, ah. so or like or newborn. So neoteny is the uh, hanging on of baby-like characteristics. Ah. So uh, a puppy has the big eyes, the short nose, the domed right. head, the drop ears. And then as it matures, the muzzle lengthens right. and the ears stand mm -hmm. up. Okay. So um, you're saying these foxes stayed well they're not called puppies are they they're kits. called kits kittens kits. kits so these foxes that were friendlier when they were bred to each other very quickly when they matured they stayed kit like yes very quickly baby -like. they developed that very very quickly and those are traits that are all attractive to us now do they talk about why that would be why no but there's some genetic um, I guess the fr maybe the friendly gene is somehow linked okay. with puppy traits, or our own um response to our own babies. Oh, that could be. Well, that's why we like like babies. to be <laughs> yeah. a baby animal. They have the short. Yes, they have the short little the arms big eyes, and legs. Big eyes. Yes, and the teeny weeny nose yep. and and the big head. So. So we're just predisposed to like babies? Yes. Yeah. Um, big eyes, especially. And a baby is going to be deferential. Yes. Cooperative. It's going to be dependent. Yeah. Yeah. 
We okay. like to care for things sometimes, especially with doggies. There is a, and you'll like some of this, that one theory huh? is um, by Maria Latinen, Finnish Food Authority in Helsinki. And her a food authority. And her colleagues suggest that the key may have been extra meat, that there was a good hunting season. You know, dogs were domesticated when much of Northern Europe was under ice much colder. Humans and wolves would have competed for food. They're top predators. But they, and wolves can only survive on lean meat, which is protein and not much else. But wild game is very lean. So, but humans can't. We need the fat. We need the fat for our brains. We need, you know. So if there's extra lean meat, then if they had a good time, they would toss it away. Say, oh, there's an animal. You know, we all have those. I think that's an instinctual thing. Like, here, have something. Or they toss it. Human hunters could have ended up with way more lean meat than they could consume. Wolves could have eaten this surplus, implying that they weren't in total competition during the harsh winters. And the humans could have shared the lean meat with the wolves without losing out. Okay. Were we gaining anything other than feeling generous? <laughs> That's what they think is that they became more, they hung around more. Oh, they're thinking puppies too. But that they would have kept them once they were friendly enough. They would have ended up keeping them because they were good hunting partners. Well, I wonder too if they just didn't think it was cool. <laughs> sorry, but I think... <laughs> If they were, if if a creature like that was hanging around, and we were we were finding, we we could see ourselves in them. Oh, that could they're be. social, they're badass hunters. We want to feel like we're badass right. hunters, and they're sort oh. of accepting us as one it's of them. It's like alpha males have in the car. You want a big mean <laughs> dog, yeah. You want a big mean companion that can set you apart. They do think that what could have happened too is that they, you know, with this whole lean meat excess food thing is that they could have taken in some orphaned wolf pups like if they had killed wolves or whatever okay. and you know and maybe viewed them as somewhat as pets and fed them on the the extra meat without really any kind of long-term goal in mind um, mm -hmm. but you know the ones that were tamed and stuck around were good hunting partners dogs are still good hunting partners you know they they can hear things we can't yeah. hear I wonder if they didn't also at some point start barking to alert uh, for intruders. Right. And that's another benefit of having this canine. Mm -hmm. It helped them with hunting, security, some, okay. you know, maybe protecting the kids. They yes. get protective of small things, female dogs especially. And so they had some of the same, they were showing us some of the same behavior right. that we were showing and where we were caretaking and right. protecting. It was mutual. What makes it kind of extraordinary that it even happened was because it was during a time when, you know, it was modern humans, as we know them, cavemans, but they're still homo sapiens. They weren't very tolerant of carnivorous competitors. It was not something that there was no, no love there. I mean, they pretty much wiped out all the high, the high level carnivore competitives totally humans humans did, did. they wiped out the saber-toothed okay. tiger 
they even wiped out, what was the other example that the National Geographic gave? Uh, pretty much every large carnivore that ever existed, including saber-toothed cats wow. and giant hyenas. Um, so they just killed them because they were competition. And but we spared the wolf. Well, I no. think we Canids. killed. No, no, I think they killed a lot of them. Um, think of the problems wolves have modern. Killed yes. a lot of wolves because they're competition. They go after our our sheep and our our livestock. Yeah, and and wolves don't like to share. So if people were going to sneak in and steal from them because they caught something, that wasn't happening either. And we have a long tradition. So it's it's kind of extraordinary that they tolerated us long enough to evolve into a domesticated dog. And it's interesting. I love how National Geographic puts it. It talks about, in terms of evolution, we always think the fittest survive. In, in terms mm -hmm. of wolf to dog, it's the survival of the friendliest. Times were yes. bad. The friendly ones got fed. And they think that most likely it was wolves that approached us and not the other way around. They were probably scavenging on the edge of settlements. They were hanging around. They were bold but aggressive. So they domesticated themselves. Yes, that is the prevailing theory. And by domesticate, we mean that um, to tame an animal um, by generations of breeding, right. not an individual right. animal. But as you were talking about with the fox study, so uh, we genetically tame them to live in close association yes, with us or even to become accustomed to our Right, because if we took in the friendly ones, it's the friendly ones that are going to breed. And then some of their offspring right. are friendlier. And they keep those. They probably wouldn't keep the other ones. <laughs> and then eventually you have the dachshund. Yes, eventually you end up with the dachshund. Changes also, I love this part, changes happen physically, genetically, but they also change their psychology. And these proto-dogs evolve the ability to read human gestures. So they have a genetic predisposition to observe our body yes. language and find meaning yes. in it that is of significance to yes. them and because it's actually you know it's often food related <laughs> we point and say eat that and they go hey yeah there's food they're human directed behaviors they can read our facial expressions our tone of voice I don't know if any other animal has shown this. I don't think wolves do, but that they will look where we point or even where we turn our eyes. We don't even yes, have to point. That we is just have to look at something. A book by Adam McLosey did studies of uh, wolf pups and dog pups yes. raised together. Okay. And showed that the young puppies had, or the, the dog puppies came ready already wired to look where right. we're pointing if there if there are two buckets of food and we point or mm. two buckets and one has food and we point to the one that has food in it the, the puppy the dog puppy will go to that bucket that we right. pointed at but you do the same experiment with a wolf puppy and it's just going to check out those buckets right. itself it's not it's not factoring in which way the human right. pointed and not and even primates bonobos chimps they have no clue what we're doing they will not follow a pointed finger they will not follow an eye gaze Get no they can't do out. it um it is not something that they do at all which means so they would have to learn that what we're saying is 
I mean, I, a wolf is certainly intelligent enough right. to learn. And I would think that you could, if you have, you know, like a cocoa or something, you know, eventually they'll learn like, oh, if they point, because they're smart enough. Oh, if they point, there's something good there. Sure. So, yeah, but they don't come hardwired like that. The puppy does it without having to yes, learn it. automatically. But very recently, there was a, a wolf behavior can be amazingly human-like. So that's part of the what you were saying is we recognized ourselves in them. Right. Um, okay. But they recently, let me find the name, Evan McLean, University of Arizona, finds the ball retrieval particularly interesting. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited right They now. <laughs> observed a wolf pup actually played fetch they had three wolves from a 2016 litter that fetched balls and one did it all that Wait, one did it uh, no the others didn't just certain ones oh. would fetch a ball and one of them did it all three trials of the test and others would play with the ball but they wouldn't return it okay and like the that. scientists um think that the difference is rooted in the pup's genetics since there are litters, the litters were brought up oh in identical God. conditions. These were wolf pups. Oh, so, you know, the first part is chasing it, picking it up in its <sighs> mouth is part of predatory play. You know, yes. wolf pups are going to do that. It's the returning with the object to the person that is dog-like. And they were very, okay. very excited. But the one guy, McLean, notes that the fetch part may have been incidental. And it wasn't clear. It, it may have just happened. It's not clear if the return to the person was really about bringing the object back or just a social approach. And he still happened to have the ball in his mouth. <laughs> I and see. They yes. Fast. There's like, oh, they like it when I do that. Maybe they give me something when I do that. Yeah. Or they'll throw right. it again. And I get, and I to, get chase to chase it, again, it again. Which is reward. Whatever yes. their intentions, they think that that suggests that there is variation in human-directed play behaviors in wolves. And it could have been targeted early in a dog's domestication. Somebody throws something. That humans just like right. to play. And that, that the wolves, them. there was a similar play. Because we're predators too. There's similar play behaviors. You chase a stick, you pick it up. Do you bring it back yes, or not? That's so, true. so, you know, we, we have that Well, game. a lot of our play, yes, is, uh, you know, uh, tickling. Uh, yeah, that's a particular thing that you you get the sensation and you laugh but it's also like a pounce oh, right, and a wrestle right. yes There's also a battle in there and, and hide yep. and go seek oh yeah um, yeah they do okay. that too because it's a hunting behavior one of the things they're saying when they saw this this one wolf pup did it three times that when you know the similarities between dogs and wolves can give us insights on why they were pursued basically or or why we would even think about it, why we pursued it. If they brought something back, it would be a way into our hearts. Um, it, was, it could have been a selective advantage as well for early dog domestication. And again, that's something that they would do. Any wolf puppies that showed human-directed behavior could have had a selective advantage. Then we go from there. But I Well, when you're bringing the toy back, you're bridging your flight yeah. distance too. You're overriding your fear in order to deliver yep. the toy yeah. or the stick. It is a question, though, because we benefit from having them. 
they certainly benefit from having us, you know, and some people say it was a little of both, which is kind of what it really sounds like. Yes. It's probably all of the above. With the exception. That's always the safest answer on the SAT. What muddies the water that doesn't make it a clear line of where they came from is that they may have been domesticated more than once. And also what really kind of muddies the genetic waters is that there has been a lot of interbreeding between wolves and dogs. Now we get our wolf, the wolf. Oh yeah. People who want wolves. Oh, you mean like the wolf dog and the right, right. The people do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah, um, it's not the safest thing. It's not the tiger. Right. No, but, but it close. is. You want like uh, when I lived in Alaska, there was actually I don't know what they called themselves, but it was a wolf place. I ended up taking my nephew, and they were wolf hybrids, and people would mm-hmm. go there and pay a lot of money for pups. Wow, but these <laughs> these dogs were amazing <sighs> hunters, and you didn't always want to get very close to them. They're big, big. They're aggressive. They're short-tempered. At least, well, well. they uh, they are. I think in general. Um, I mean, they're not going to put up right, with your bullshit. Exactly. So, but it's a again, it's the big sports car. You want to have this. You want to have a wolf. I have a wolf, even though he's half husky. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's it power. power. It's not wise, but it is power. So, but that that muddies the water because you know the more they interbreed again. You're, tra- you're trying to trace them back to wolves and you get to 1960 and you go, what? You know, or whatever you figure out. So it, it, it's not it's a not clean, a clean line, line, which is what breed registries try right. to be. We domesticated the dog. If you look at like, um, I don't know if they call it like the purest canine or the most basic canine like what they would turn into once they were domesticated or like the the common and i don't know the name but like the common breed of dog in africa the pariah dog it, or what's known as a pariah dog they all right. kind of revert to the same yeah, scrappy yes, looking yes brown. and they are scrappy looking yeah yeah and that Bean happens coat. all over you know if you get sort of the indigenous dog that's what they look like all over the world but then where do we go to get like you brought up you know the dachshund or i love squishy face dogs and you know which is just kind of cruel if you think about it from a breeding standpoint but we do that because i mean i have animals simply on the basis that they amuse me like that's what i go after i wanted amusing i think in these conversations we underestimate how 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 what a drive oh amusement that's is. That, that is the w- number one reason i don't have dogs that don't um, like we have a border collie and he doesn't amuse me but i'm not the one who brought him home i love him very much but well i yes. will talk about yes. border collies and how they amuse us but um what you were talking about with throwing the stick and yeah. it return and the dog returns it you know even if it returns it close i right. don't quite know why that was interesting that was innately yes. amusing at least yes. for a time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's entertainment. It's play. Right. It's mutually entertaining. And if you're talking hunter and gatherers, which is who domesticated dogs, not farmers, according to the timeline that they've figured out, hunter gatherers have a lot of downtime, much yes. more than we've ever had as industrial people and farmers. So they're sitting around <laughs> and you're tossing a stick. Reminds me. <laughs> you have time for that. 
Oh my gosh, Anne, let's put a pin in this for a second and see if I can find that quote. I got it. Um, cave painting. This was a an article by Thurston. Oh no, this is a book by Mary E. Thurston, The Lost History of the okay. Canine Race, Our 15,000-Year okay. Love Affair with Dogs. Okay. And she says cave painting fails to feature anything that can be definitely pointed to as a wolf or a dog. There were others that uh, there was a, a the a Chauveau cave. Is that how you say? It? Oh, the, those discovered. Yes, they, in they were like some of the oldest that they found, I think. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 32,000 yeah. years ago. That showed grazing animals and predators and so forth, right? And 12,000 years ago, there was a footprint of a boy beside the paw print of yes. a large dog. Yeah, that's um, that has been fictionalized into so many stories. <laughs> so she says it shows other wild dogs, but it did not show humans, wolves, or dogs um, either a, okay. alone or together, right? Um, artists at other caves did not depict humans or canids either, or is it canid? Canid, canid. The artists might have believed that self-revelation, so they didn't they didn't depict right. themselves, but they also didn't depict dogs, which is the the um, omission of self and dog is an interesting oh. coincidence. So. If they thought, uh, th this is what she's thinking, um, the artist might have believed that self-revelation yes. would bring them harm, the way that American Indians supposedly believed that if there was a picture of them, their spirit would be captured and bad fate would befall them. And what I loved about that is because it implies that a portrait of the dog is a portrait mm. of yourself. The, there's a, a saying the Australian Aborigines say, the dingo is what we would be oh. if we were not what we are. Uh, and then the other possibility as to why there were no dogs is because, like in Judaism and Islam, there is a, it's a taboo to create an image ah, of the deity. Okay. It goes back to that, that, you know, just the connection and the fact that they, yeah. Our dogs ourselves. So to bring it back to the, the playing <laughs> fetch thing, um, okay. is yeah. that, you know, again, it amuses us, uh, but it was behavior that we observed that we wanted to replicate. Oh, we wanted more of it. We wanted more of it. And maybe because it was useful, maybe because it was entertaining, um, which brings us to border collies. Lisa, you were going to talk about border I am going to talk about border collies because I, uh, it's just, it's the breed that I know the best, mm -hmm. partly. Um, but also, I'm about as fascinated by border collies as they are by sheep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I, yes. And, you know, I've been, I've had hobbies. I've had fascinations with, you know, like I used to do cruel <laughs> embroidery and, um, and you know, those things come and go. I used to play music right. and I don't anymore. You know, I used to 
skate. I used to swing dance, right? And I don't anymore. But the border collie, I cannot quit it. And I would really like to sometimes. It's it's um, work intensive. First, they're they're work dogs, and they take a lot of time. I'm yes. going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that. Why? What is wrong <laughs> with me? Is what I'm talking about. You know, I think I first saw a border collie. It must have been. 1988, wow. 87, 88. And I pretty much have had a border collie wow. ever since. And yeah, there's some years there. Anyway, uh, I would like to start talking about the border collie by this confluence of ideas that came into my head around the time that my border collie, Casey, she was a 13, 14 years old when I read Michael Pollan's The Botany of Desire. It's called, uh, the subtitle is A Plant's Eye View of the World. Okay. It came out in 2002, but that's um, that's not when I read it. I, it was already out for a while. And I, when I read this book, I recognized a possible answer to what it, the f- <laughs> what is wrong with me. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to read you a couple of quotes that are from the intro to his book where he um, he recognizes the Ah. parallel to dogs. Okay, he's just talking about plants. Um, And he's talking about domestication, which I sort of the word domestication needs an object. It's a it's a verb. The verb to domesticate needs an object. And what you just told us about who domesticated whom uh, implies that it's a mutual thing. Like, yes, a domestication, you know, has domicile mm-hmm. in it, right? Uh, like it's uh, genetically altering a creature to make it compliant or to um, make it into something that lives harmoniously in our domicile or in the surrounding yes. areas, right? If the dog was shaping us mm-hmm. in turn, is there a word for that? Because it wouldn't, we don't go live in their right. dirt right. in the grass, right? So, but anyway, that, that, that's um, a, maybe a little too academic. So let's just have some fun with border collies. So uh, Michael Pollan writes, we automatically think of domestication as something we do to yes. other species. But it makes just as much sense to think of it as something certain plants and animals have done to yes. us. A clever evolutionary strategy for advancing their own interests. The species that have spent the last 10,000 years or so figuring out how best to feed, heal, clothe, intoxicate, and otherwise delight (laughs) us have made themselves some of nature's greatest success stories. Okay. So um, in the the book, I remember him using the word pinging to talk about genes. For example, when he talked about the um, the apple, he talks about, I think, five different plants that we have propagated because we like something in it, and it becomes an evolutionary success story. And if you look at the plant's eye view, it the plant happened upon something we wanted, and then we propagated it. And really, all any gene wants is to propagate itself, like a coronavirus, <laughs> for example. For example. <laughs> right? Uh, so... We think, oh, we mastered the apple. Huh, okay. Right. Yes. The red delicious apple. But really, did we or did the apple take advantage of us? Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed, like you're going out in the woods and you see 
they're like around here, you will sometimes see a wild orange tree, you know, and I remember it's like happening upon in the, in the woods up in Pennsylvania, an apple tree. And then you taste that fruit and it's awful. It's sour, bitter. Right. Yeah. What, yeah. I always kind of thought that if I took a red, delicious apple seed and stuck it in the ground, a red, oh. delicious apple would come up. That's no, it's not, not it at all because each of those seeds is as individual right. as we are. And it's going to make its own fruit. So how do we have so many red delicious apples? They are all graphs. They are all clones. Okay. So he says that nature, every living thing is pinging the universe. Each seed that it, you know, whatever, whatever the seed is, is taking a chance at survival. Okay. So the border collie or mm-hmm. any dog and you were talking about the, like the foxes that uh, the or the uh, flight distance and the um, dogs that approach the uh, fire in fact he talked about that very briefly this is what he said about dogs he said the surprising thing is we don't ordinarily regard species like the cow and the potato the tulip and the dog as nature's more extraordinary creatures the wolf is somehow more impressive yes. to us than the dog yet says Michael Pollan. (laughs) There are 50 million dogs in America today. That would have been in 2002. And only, yes, and only 10,000 wolves. Hmm. So what does the dog know about getting (laughs) along in this world that its wild ancestor doesn't? Which I think you answered. The big thing the dog knows about the subject it has mastered in the 10,000 years it has been evolving at our side is us. Our needs and desires, our emotions and values, all of which it has folded into its genes as part of a sophisticated strategy for survival. If you could read the genome of the dog like a book, you would learn a great deal about who we are and what makes us tick. So that's what I want to talk about in regards to the border collie. Because speaking of genetic success stories, when I read Michael Pollan, it was just something I think I was already thinking about quite a bit, was that the Border Collie is such a young breed. Yeah, it hasn't been. It's not ancient, right? No, no. Not like a deer hound or something, I, I think. Right. right? Um, I mean, we have a photograph. And I had, and I guess it's, it struck me because I was here for the explosion of border collies in the world. Um, when I first got my first border collie, it was 1988 okay. or so. And when I took her out in the world, no one knew what she was. Oh. And I was in, I was in rural Pennsylvania where, well, of course I was in a college town. There were not a lot of farmers in the college town, but people right. didn't know what she was. People outside rural communities did not know what she was. And they would ask me, what is she a mix of? But now, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but now um, the Border Collie is um, an AKC's most popular list, you know, most popular dog breed list. They're like 33, 35. And I I think Stanley Corrin is largely responsible. Stanley Corrin and CNN are largely responsible for that when he wrote The Intelligence of Dogs. That's it. They're smart. Everybody wanted a smart dog. Yeah. Right. And they would show them herding sheep and it was really cool. And David Letterman had Border Collies herd sheep on stage into a cab (laughs) and into an elevator. He had had the you know, so suddenly they uh, they hit mass media. They were yes. trending. <laughs> so, 
I was telling you around the time that my 14-year-old border collie Casey died, I read Michael Pollan's The Botany of Desire. And I had been a single mom for about 10 years. And my only child had just gone off to college. So the dog had been my main source of comfort sure. and continuity, I guess. So when she died, I, I was just a train wreck. But I didn't want to just jump on the next border collie that became available because no one would give it to me, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> that's another th question. I wanted to do it right. Like I wanted to do the dog shopping thing right, you know, rescue a dog. Anyway, I'm putting air quotes around <laughs> right. That, that seemed really important to me that I shop for a dog the right way because I was a, I was a good yes. dog person, Okay, right? And I was fascinated by what Pollen's book implied about doing it right. Like, what is this behavior in me? What's driving me to, to adopt a dog the right way? you know, get the right dog the right way. And it depends on so many cultural influences, like parenting yes. the right way, or praying the right way in your community, you know, or carrying yourself in a gendered world yes. in the right way. These are all behavioral choices. Something's motivating us to make these choices. And, uh, and we're doing it based on uh, like the forces around us. So I was fascinated, as I've said, about my, my own attachment to Border Collies and the sacrifices I was willing to make to yes. have a Border Collie, right? And I became fascinated because when I got a Border Collie, like people were saying, oh, you know, you're going to have to have sheep or you're going to have to have a job for it to do. Like it, the, the cultural imperative was to keep your dog in yes, and busy because if you don't find, because if Why? you don't find them a job. They will find their own job and it's not going to be something you like. <laughs> okay. That's yes. They're going to wreck your, right, they're going to tear your that's couch the new job. Yeah. <laughs> but why would I want that? Right. Why would I want a dog that, that is going yeah. to destroy my house or, or nip me right. because it's so bored. So in there were, but by the time Casey died, she was my third border collie and she was 14. Um, you know, it had been at least 20 years. And from my first border collie to this border collie, suddenly everybody knew what a border collie was and they were oh, po very they're popular. still popular. You yeah. know, Mick is eight now, going on nine. I, I don't, you know, I think the stats I looked up was 33, number 33, most pop, 33rd most popular dog in the United States. That was a 2019 statistic. Wow. And the Australian Shepherd and the mini Australian Shepherd oh, were hiding on that. Yes, so herding yes. dogs and Aussies are. I like. I don't I really. Are they more? In a, they're like, more energetic. You know, there's something I don't talk about in this, and and it's biddability. The Porter Collie has a has a a couple of innate. You know, we were, you were talking about um, the ability, the innate ability to read meaning right. into a human gesture, and we didn't right. even talk yeah, about. Yeah, we eyebrows. didn't even get there. Um, <laughs> we didn't even I touch meant, the I eyebrows. And I did. I thought about the eyebrow, <laughs> I but I didn't bring too. it up. <laughs> oh, yes. Another episode. But <laughs> they, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. So, oh no, the biddability, the, the border collie has a biddability that I, I'm not sure, at least in the ones that I see locally, I'm not sure the Australian Shepherd quite has the same biddability as a border collie. And by biddability, I mean the willingness yeah, to okay. do your bidding. The eagerness to please, to okay. do what you'd like. Yes. Yes, that is something we have not talked about yet, but that is something that is bred into mm -hmm. a dog. Not only the the innate ability to read meaning in your body language and in your vocalizations, like mm -hmm. a predisposition to find significance in what you say and do, 
um, that is meaningful to the dog, but um, a willingness then to elicit praise and food from you, like to see you as a source of uh, pleasure, of good things. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it will do, it, it will do things to get rewards from you. That is a bit ability to do your bidding. And a border collie has that in a very high degree. And the border collie also has yes. eyes, which we, I am about, I will talk about shortly. So let me get back to, um, oh, I didn't, bring, um, I have, for example, I, I was fascinated by my attachment to border collies and why so many other people get hooked on border collies the same way that I do uh, in the, the last 20 years at this time, it was, had been about 20 years when they cause so much trouble to there, they require such an expenditure of time and attention and effort. There must be something in them that we find worth it. And I found the other day, I was looking through my sewing kit and I found a piece of a t-shirt that I had cut out. Like I had thrown out the t-shirt because I didn't like it. I think it was like one of those unisex, which is not really unisex. And it like rubs my throat the wrong way. And I hit, but I liked what was on it so much that I cut that off and I thought I'm going to like sew it to the back <laughs> of the jacket or something. And it is a um, drawing of a border collie like racing after like it's in a full gallop okay extension yes. gallop right and it's like a blur of speed and it says it's not a dog it's an addiction uh. <laughs> okay and that's that's a t-shirt i've i bought years and years ago like i think even before i had mick so i wanted to know in a michael pollan way what does the border collie have that has so capitalized on humans that it has made us propagate it. Yes. All right. Uh, so, and, and to hold ourselves to such a bizarre standard, like that you have to raise it a certain way, train it a certain way, entertain it. You know, we've, we've said to that do it my right. husband says about ours is he's, he can't live up to his dog's expectations <laughs> and he feels horribly guilty about that. <laughs> we want that. We want that somehow and we hold each other to it uh we're very judgmental at least in the dog world very judgmental about how other people treat their oh, herding sure. dogs but in the in particular border because i joined a rescue for a while and i fostered dogs as you know and um the standards we hold like it, it is you have to go through the eye of a needle <laughs> to, to oh, get yes. a border collie and i have that um, story as well yes so I had lived with border collies right. for 20 years, like I said, and I did not have a sheep farm and I did not right. do ag agility. And I felt very guilty and I wanted to change. I was driven to change that. But the, were my dogs unhappy? <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> not at all. No, because they were just as happy. I, I played ball with them a lot. Right. I played Frisbee with them a lot. I, I played in the house. Like my whole house was, was border collie game land. They were happy. They were happy being with me. I did train them. They were happy working with me. But I, according to some, I was not raising yes. them right. And I wanted, I wanted to make good on that. Anyway, there are a hell of a lot more border collies out there than there are sheep farms. So I wanted to investigate this phenomenon in America. And I figured at the time that Casey died that I would use, I would write a book, I would investigate. And I would, while I was investigating, I would then get myself into border collie circles where, because I couldn't prove anything. I had no titles on my dogs. No one would give me a, a rescue dog border collie, even though I'd lived with them happily right. for 20 years um, because I had no titles 
I couldn't say, you know, look, I got a mock on, on a border collie. So like you have to have not only have had a border collie because I have had had three, but you have to prove that you are a worthy yes. border collie person. And at that point to those people, I could not prove that. And I was, I had moved from Pennsylvania where I had border collie connections. I moved to Florida and oh. didn't have any here. So I was, I was having trouble getting the attention of rescuers who would let me rescue a dog. So I thought, well, I'll just, uh, I'll indulge my passion for this dog by uh, interviewing agility people, herding people, um, flyball people, you know, and look at what the heck are we doing? <laughs> who are we? Uh, so as I said, it's a relatively recent breed that has exploded in popularity, which means it has exploded in numbers, which means it is genetically yes. successful. Um, and let me tell you yes, about the please. first border collie. And I think the answer to what the hell's going on is right there in the first border collie. So the bo that border collie was born in 1893. Uh, there were already lots of herding dogs oh, yeah. in 1893. <laughs> uh, they were, they right. were sheep dogs or whatever. You know, there's a herding group. So they came from the Anglo-Scottish yes. border region. That's why they're called border collies. Uh, but it really began as a single breeding line. Do you, you remember um, yes. Jim the Wonder Dog? Yes. Mm -hmm. He was a Llewellyn okay. setter. And there was some argument about whether or not that was its own breed or whether or not it was just um, a oh, famous okay. line, gotcha. breed line. Like Mick comes from a line called the Fleet, Fleet okay. Border Collies. It is in a, it's some circles. It is a popular and recognized gotcha. line. Like people can look at Mick and know wow. that he's a fleet puppy. So it's a subset, and there are lots of them, subsets of border calls. Like you can tell um, yeah, a Labar. Yes, you can. <laughs> you know? Being one of 10, it doesn't take much for me to walk down the street in my hometown and people go, hey, <laughs> you're a Labar. Right. And you can tell my daughter. My daughter's a shawl. She she has the you know the, the family. So, it, you know certain breed lines will will have identifiable characteristics, and they may not be physical. What happened was this dog was named Old Hemp, which sometimes you see spelled A U L D. Okay. Um, yeah, and there are photos of him, or there is I've a seen, photo. Of him I guess I've seen the you can photo, see on the, but is there just one? Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's okay. on Wikipedia. You can look it up. I think it's just one. So at that time, it was just a dog uh, named Hemp. I, this information I've gotten from Wikipedia, uh, Janet Elizabeth Larson's book, The Versatile Border Collie, R.B. Robertson's book of ah. Sheep and Men. So here's the story. Um, Old Hemp's owner was Adam Telfer. And the lore goes that in Northumberland, England, Telfer, who was a sheep farmer, bred two of his own sheepdogs, a crazy hard-eyed bitch, <laughs> this is a quote, <laughs> a crazy hard-eyed bitch. He bred to a good-natured sire. And uh, let me tell you what I means. Let me scroll down a little bit and find my definition of I, because you might as well know now. Um, so they, sheep herders were breeding for right. I, and I is something that is peculiar to border collies. In fact, now it's called border collie eye, which I, I guess is about an intensity, really. You know, it's, this behavior is in other dogs, but it's exaggerated in the border collie to a problematic oh, okay. degree. 
as well, you know. Yeah, actually, I do. Um, here, I'll define yeah. it and then you'll know uh, exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it is a, uh, I got this, I think, from Janet Elizabeth Larson. It is a creeping or stalking approach to livestock. Okay. It's a, it's a relentless stare. I had a, a handyman when I rented a house, my first border collie, uh, I lived with my first border collie and the handyman would knock on the door and ask me with a worried look to please put the dog ah. away because he didn't like her eyes. He didn't like the way she looked at him. <laughs> All right. So, but this, it's not just the, oh, there's a breeder called, who calls her, there's kennel lock okay. eye. It is this, the eye, uh, their eyes, their gaze locks onto their target and does not waver. The focus is so intense and it includes a whole body yes. stance in eye. They have the head low, the shoulder blades kind of, uh, the, the head and neck are so low that the shoulder blades kind of rise up uh, out of the back area. And they have what's called a dead tail, Okay, which is they carry, carry the tail so low and tight against the haunches um, and it hangs in a kind of yes. J shape. And some border collies who have a, a stronger eye will hold that tail so low and tight that it actually kind of comes between the oh. back legs instead of being behind them. It's kind of under them. Okay. Yeah, I do. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's tucked so low. And I guess based on some of the other reading that I've done, the reason that they will lift a tail and wave it, yes, like wag it, is to distribute their scent and to invite someone okay, to sniff but them. But isn't there, it a flag? Right, and that's I that actually say it looks like he's waving a flag. Yes, it does. But the the fur, uh, you know, will disperse theoretically. Let's just talk genetically. It okay. will disperse okay. their scent when the tail is up and and, and the okay. tail is wagging. It it disperses the scent and it invites another dog okay. to come check them out. Oh, check out my right. dog, <laughs> right? Um, but if you're hunting. You don't want your prey to smell you. Ah, okay. So if you tuck the tail in, you clamp those molecules in against okay. your haunches and you hold the tail very still. You're not dispensing, right. dispersing your scent. She, Shepherd's looking for a good working dog. If the dog works the sheep and the tail is mm -hmm. up and flagging, they call that a gay tail. And that's not a serious dog. That's a dog that's ah, playing. Okay. Not working. And that's not a dog right. that's hunting. Right. So a border collie eye is a whole body stance. It's the head position, the gaze, and it is associated with stalking prey. The problem with border collies who have who get so much pleasure out of staring at a mm -hmm. at a target like prey is that this becomes obsessive behavior, neurotic behavior, and they chase cars. I think the number one cause of death in border collies is um, yeah. being hit by cars because they don't chase the car. They stare at it and they mm -hmm. run out in front of it, which is what they, that's the outrun. It's um, when a pack of wolves or probably other canines are do cooperative hunting behavior. When Buddy was a puppy, that's what he did. He would, he would start to try, try to run in front of the car. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's so dumb. <laughs> it is not evolutionary alimentations at all. Nobody told border collies about the cars when they bred them. But that uh, the one like uh, in a pack when they um, divide the labor, you have some that are that are going to jump and take down, uh, grab the the prey by the neck and and pull and take it down, you know. And then you have some that are going to drive it. They're going to nip at the heels, and then you have some that are going to ambush them. They're going to run out ahead, and so the border collie is the is a line of of dogs hunting canines that are that are bred to be the ones that speed around uh, from a distance without 
drawing any attention to themselves, and then they drive the uh, the herd toward the other ones who are waiting to pounce on them. So, but border collies will chase cars or try to out, you know, do an outrun. They call it to run around at a distance and then come up on. Uh, the car. Uh, they do that to children. They do it to right. blowing leaves. They, Buddy, I've seen do it to um, yep. water lapping in the pool when we were swimming in the pool. He will run. He will circle the pool. He will chase the, the waves. I saw another dog doing that in a waiting oh, really? pool oh, a couple days ago. Oh, yeah. Another border collie. Uh, yeah. In agility, I was at a handling camp, uh, Karen Hollick's handling camp, and most people had border collies and one of them, at least one of them, got mesmerized uh, by the lapping water in, the, in this pool yes, where they were dunking themselves. The, he doesn't want to get wet. Thank you very much. But he wants to herd the water. Yes. Right. But we were at a party at your house and there were a lot of people in the pool and Buddy ran and ran and ran yes. until his paws were bloody. And Mick and Maisie do the same thing. No. And that's not cool. They can't stop. They will they will chase. They cannot yeah. stop no, themselves. He cannot. That's the yeah. thing. No. Um, there are dogs that will chase sh the shadows of leaves blowing on the wall oh, in the okay. house. You know, um, ants. I've heard of uh, dogs getting fascinated by ants on the oh, pavement no. <laughs> and hurting them. So yeah, <laughs> the, one of the worst things you can do is is show you is show your dog um, a laser ah. beam on the floor. Yeah, because it's obsessive, and they will so indulge that mental yes. state, which they find right. self rewarding. I think it's probably like flow, okay. but they they get something so yes. addictive out of it uh, that they will harm themselves. But what I think is interesting here is that we love watching that. Oh yeah, you know. And I'm, I've been thinking about why, but we like it so much. People like me. I think I didn't go into this as much as I want to, but you know how some people are born, like a border collie, a litter of puppies, a border collie puppies, some will have mm -hmm. harder eye right. than others. Like Telford bred the right. hard-eyed bitch, you know, and you don't really necessarily okay. want it because it's, well, it can be excessive. Okay. It can be too much. Right. Right. I'm getting ahead of myself here. So tell for, I, I just wanted to identify what I was and I got distracted <laughs> myself. So he bred a hard-eyed bitch to a, um, a, a good-natured sire. So you see, you take a dog that has this really strong predatory gaze and you breed it to one that is good-natured, which may be okay. biddable. Or what uh, Cheryl Jagger Williams, who bred Mick, who's a fleet pup, um, uh, fleet and Belle, were both sweet. Uh, they had hard eyes, particularly Fleet had a hard eye, but um, but they were both sweet. And and um, some people argue that the Border Collie is not just all out of hemp, like every Border Collie has hemp's right. blood. But there was another dog named Kep who was sweet. So it's that combination of eye, which right. is drive, like this compulsion to, to hunt down prey, or at least to stalk yes. it. It's it just, just the stalking. Dog. It's not the biting. You don't want them biting your sheep. But a willingness to to work with you, the sweetness, the bitability. So it's not the, what the Border Collie looks like. It's what the Border Collie behaves like. It's temperament. That's the Border Collie. The working Border Collie is bred for eye. Right. And Which is why I like the breed because it 
it isn't about what it looks like. And when you breed for looks sometimes, I think you run, of course, you run into problems then, you know, physical problems, whatever, you know, things like I like squishy face dogs. And there's different types of like Boston Terriers. Some of them are very long legged. They almost look like miniature boxers and other ones are very short legged. And those are the ones that do well in shows. So then you get, you get physical problems then, bloaty knees and things where, where, where a working dog is bred for behavior. So you end up kind of sidestepping, not always, um, but sidestepping some physical issues that may come from like overbreeding, that kind of thing. Am I right? Right. One of the things I liked about them, yes, you are absolutely right. I mean, but breeding for any specific genetic trait is going to encourage piggybacking of undesirable things, you know, like there's blindness or Mm -hmm. epilepsy in the even in the working lines. But I thought it was charming that working border collies don't really look a whole lot. I mean, there's a border collie look, but there's so much variety in the coat and the color. Like nobody cared what the border collie looked like. It could have freckles. It could have have one ear standing out, one ear flopped. Yeah. They're all different sizes. It was all about what did, how did they behave? What, what was their personality? It's kind of a personality thing. So, but, and I think personality is probably more important to people than they realize when they go dog shopping, they, they think, well, I, I want a beagle or, you know, I want um, a West Highland white and they don't really necessarily ask themselves which of these West Highland white puppies is the right personality for mm. me. And then you end up with some heartache. The um, Stanley Corrin, who wrote The Intelligence of Dogs, yes. I re- mentioned it before, lobbed border collies into popular consciousness. But he also wrote a book called Why We Love mm. the Dogs We Do. Talks about the different temperaments and how to f- match yourself to a dog that you'll love and get along with, like your heart dog. So anyway, uh, Old Hemp, he was the son of an unknown rascal named Roy, <laughs> who had a very free eye and frank expression. Uh, I'm quoting Robertson here. And, uh, and an, uh, an equally unknown mother named Meg, who was a shy and somewhat self-conscious bitch, but she had a hard eye. Got it. <laughs> self-conscious bitch. <laughs> I know a few of them. Anyway, so Telfer got the best. He just happened to get the best of both of those dogs. He got the hard eye and he got the uh, winning personality, you know, the laid, not really laid back, but uh, good nature in hemp. But here's the thing. I'm sure there were lots of dogs like that. A lot of sheep dogs like that. But Sheep country hillsides on the British Isles ran with many a shepherd's cur is what they called them there. And they had strong eye and they had sweet temperament. And they weren't border collies, but hemp was different. Hemp had a new way with sheep. He had this gentle intensity that no one had ever seen before. Sheep moved for him as if hypnotized. Wow. With a gaze, this I'm, I'm quoting myself. <laughs> <laughs> something I wrote before. With a gaze that stirred but did not panic ah. the sheep. He worked from a distance in an attitude of calm and persistent haste that gave him a a breathtaking efficiency. Old Hemp's eye moved sheep like Hmm. magic. And when Old Hemp worked, no man could look (laughs) away. And here's a quote from Robertson. He wrote, the Scottish collies were clever, but Hemp was cleverer. The collies were tough, but Hemp was tougher. The collies could manage sheep, but hemp could overawe them. The shepherds could teach the collies, but hemp could teach the shepherds. 
Soon, the shepherds who had always paid the collies the most supreme Scottish compliment that they were nice so bad <laughs> agreed that hemp was bloody marvelous. So Telfer was running old hemp in sheep herding trials, unbeaten. I see in some sources that uh, that Telfer ran hemp in trials and he won them all. If you go to Wikipedia, it says there's no evidence that hemp was ever run in a trial. I don't know how so many people would have bred to if he had hemp. hemp. If right, if he hadn't, I mean, that's that's what right. the trials are for is to show off your and dog get a and breeding say, hey, fee, right? <laughs> you there you go. So, it here's a really interesting thing about hemp and the border collie in general is I always thought the border collie was bred to herd sheep like like shepherds wanted them, and they do, right? And you know, to work their farms. No, the border collie is bred to win sheep herding trials, oh. it is a sport oh. dog because it's one thing to herd your own sheep right. on your own land. You know, the, the border collie gets to know all the, I mean, the dog gets to know all the sheep and gets right. to know the land and, and the habits of the sheep and they get to know each other, right? A trial, you're working sheep that you've never met and you're working on land you've never seen on, and all these people are around. And it, so a dog that can focus under those conditions with all those distractions around, gotcha. that's, that's an athlete. Okay. So the thing about him too, besides all his mesmerizing behaviors like the mesmerize not only the sheep but the the people watching them um his offspring also had that ah. behavior like that combination in him was a dominant trait so within one year after hemp i don't know started getting sold out yes. for stud um he sired over 200 males Whoa. alone within one year Yes. Within a decade, they were saying no man could count his progeny. Wow. And that's because no man could count them all because his offspring had swept the international sheep herding championships. So not only would hemp win trials, but his right. offspring yes. won trials. And people are like, where'd mm -hmm. you get that dog? That's a hemp dog. Yeah. Okay. At, at some point in here, uh, hemp's line was crossed with Kep's okay. line. To make them sweeter, because some of them were, I guess, a little bit of that yeah, hard-eyed yeah. bitch too much, <laughs> self-conscious bitch, which you Maybe still see. a little see. nippier. Yeah. Probably. They just right. weren't as biddable. So uh, Kemp, Kemp sweetened the hemp line. So uh, they ran, uh, as Telfer said of old hemp, like a meteor across the sheepdog horizon. <laughs> So he was a phenomenon. He was like the Tiger Woods. If Tiger Woods, all of his young... <laughs> could play just as well as him. <laughs> yes. And and with such mesmerizing grace that you um, that you would also sell right. a lot of tickets. Right. <laughs> you know? So those dogs, Old Hemp's progeny, ran from Scotland to France, to Belgium, to Germany, to the Netherlands, to North America, to South Africa, to Australia, English-speaking worlds, yes. New Zealand. Hemp only lived eight wow. years, but within, yeah. So this is Robertson says within 10 years of his death, it could truly be said that the sun never wow. set on hemp's offspring. All right. So to this day, every border collie has hemp's blood and Kemp's okay. blood. All right. So, and hemp is the, um, considered the father, the forefather right. of the border collie breed. So like the Llewellyn line, the border collie is a is a line of herding dogs that has now become its own breed. And it has kind of bifurcated, as you were saying, um, about breeding them for appearance. Yes. There's a book by Don, Don McCaig. It's a slim little book and it's called The Dog Wars. And I was around for that. I had a border collie at that time and I was I was uh, belonged to a border collie lift serve oh, okay. where there was this 
big brouhaha about whether or not border collies should be admitted into the AKC stud books and become uh, an AKC registered breed because AKC requires physical. I mean, I think they tried to do a good job of, of not being strict, but people yes. are people. And if you want what, what they ended up doing was delineating what the border collie would look like. But as you said, there's, there will be a prevalent yes. style, right? Like you, you mentioned like shorter legs, um, this is hap- of course was bound to happen in the border collie where they are going to pre- judges are going to prefer the classic with uh, what they call Dutch markings the black and white with the broad oh, white right. blaze. Yes, the black and white with the broad white even blaze. A working border collie can have like no blaze or a crooked mm-hmm. blaze. Nobody gives a shit about right. its blaze, right? Um, the depth, the length right. of the coat, the way the back end angulates, you know. So I can recognize an AKC border collie like a mile off. And I think of them as Oreos, Oreo cookies. (laughs) Now, would you think now Buddy is AKC Mm -hmm. and does he look AKC? Well, I guess he does. He's the medium size. He well, he's um, he's a gray Merle or a blue Merle. That's another thing is, yeah, the um, the Merling, you know, coat color became a, a, right. a value, a marketable value to have a Merle, to have a blue Merle, right. a red Merle, to have a, you know, a lavender or whatever. But, yeah, but he does are. have the skirt and he's got the the tail that that's this big banner. And so, yeah, I guess that is that's AKC style, the skirt and the. Yeah. Yeah. So McCaig said, and, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, so what? Let the, let AKC have its Border Collie uh, and we'll have our we will continue to have yeah. the working Border Collie which looks any old, like you would not necessarily recognize some of these dogs as border collies because right. they don't have that classic Dutch right. marking. Um, but they do the thing that border collies do. So really what has happened is um, they're, the breed okay. has split. So there's the working border collie and then there's the what what working people, fans of working border collies mm-hmm. call the AKC border collie a oh, Barbie yeah, collie. But he's definitely a Barbie collie. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> is. And already, I mean, what's a bit, maybe 20 years, but you will hear from, I hear from people in herding that the Barbie collies don't necessarily really no, know what yeah, they're doing doesn't out know there, you know, or, <laughs> you know, or they have that really keyed up, um, obsessive, it's not a yes. balanced yeah. Yeah, yeah. eye. It is a, a, an over the top yes. neurotic eye. They're just going to, my my one friend had a a young dog. They took we we go on these boat trips to this island. It's a dog, a person and their dog take their take their dogs uh, on yeah. boat trips. Actually, <laughs> to yeah, an I island. have a friend who has a boat, and they got a dog specifically because the dog was like cool with being on the boat. Oh no, this is this is oh, a tour. This is okay. this is a tour for for people oh, and their pets. Gotcha. Like yeah. there's a boat tour, and then like once in a while they'll they'll let they'll just sell tickets for people with their dogs and you go to an island, you let your dog oh, run around the island okay. and you drive back. So my friend went with someone who had a Barbie collie, border collie on this boat trip and they could not keep the dog in the boat because the dog would chase <laughs> passing boats. And it would just like, it was a puppy. It would just right. fling itself yeah, yeah. off the boat. I mean, that's a young dog. Yeah. She saw that as evidence that these dogs <laughs> no, it wasn't trained. Let's not get it into these. Trained. Again, I'm also interested in the behavior that it sparks in us right. that there is um, there are people who will judge oh, each right. other or which border collie you chose and how that border collie behaves or doesn't behave. Like there's a right way and a wrong way for a border collie. And the tendency in people to want to say this, we fans of the working collie 
believe this and therefore the others are wrong. And then the others, I don't know what they think of us. I say us because I'm I'm a fan of the working collie because I'm addicted to I. Let's get back to I. So they say dog people in dog sports say if you want a dog, get a dog. If you want to win, get a border collie. Because the, the border collie was bred not just to herd sheep, but to work under a certain kind of, uh, of under trial conditions. Okay. It's got that focus. Author and commentator Egg Halsall was also, he's a contemporary of Telfer. And he saw hemp run on sheep. And he said about hemp, none who saw him ever forgot him. He was om- almost faultless in work. He was born with such a knowledge of his craft that he never required training and went to his work naturally. So hemp was, you could think of hemp as he was like the next, next best gadget <laughs> for sheep control. Like all sheep farmers had to have a border collie the way everybody has to have a Roomba right. or a pressure cooker or an air fryer now. You Instapot. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Instapot. He was the Instapot of his day. He was, it wasn't so much about hurting your sheep on your farm. It was about right. winning trials. And I guess people, like we were saying, people like to throw sticks and have dogs bring them back. Like we like to play, but we like to oh, win. Okay. Right. The addictive thing about the border collie is that you can win with it. You're winning. Even if you just have a border collie, you've proven that you des- right. that you can own one. You know, like you you won over the trust of the rescuers who who have such high standards for um, who they are going to adopt a, one of these difficult dogs right. out to, right? Or the breeders are only going to let their dogs go to uh, if you're yes. doing it right. The breeder is going to make oh, you yeah. work for it. It's going to make you prove. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're going to win. So the Border Collie is a dog that goes to overachievers. Or maybe uh, I like to joke that it goes to, that it attracts people. Who <laughs> <laughs> the, the Border Collie has an addiction. Yes. Right. To its own eye, to to you know, chasing a laser pointer or, or like, and then the codependent wants to take care of someone who has addiction. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, and we want to be the best at yes. taking care of, of our, the, the Frisbee-holic, right? So one of the best things I love about border collies is that I never get tired of watching them. And I have some other thoughts about that besides being uh, codependent <laughs> or, or, or an over a perfectionist, an overachiever, a straight A student. Is that codependent behavior too? That's perfectionist like being, behavior. Okay. So I think as a certain type of woman, I mean, they're men too, yeah. obviously, but nowadays the proliferation of the breed seems to be a, among soccer mom types. Hmm. Like your kids have, you've already proven to the world that you're the best mom there is because your child got in the best school, you know, you know, got a football scholarship, whatever, right? Uh, got high SAT scores. Like you're always going for. Mm-hmm the overachiever yeah. thing and you have you know my my child is right. smarter you know honor student and now you get the border collie sticker my border collie student, is smarter right. than honor student. <laughs> i've seen that <laughs> yeah and then you um you're in agility and you're you were used to be taking your kid to t-ball now you're taking your dog to agility yeah. trials right uh, or fly ball or whatever sport that you're going to prove yourself in so i think there's something else too the border, like if you want a dog, get a dog. If you want to win, right. get a border collie. So it's that type of person. It's whatever that drive is in us to be proving ourselves, to yes. be the winner, the overachiever, the perfectionist. Um, there's this other thing in the border collies that I see in the border collie that I don't see in other dogs. And I, other people who have border collies say the same thing about them. 
And it's the same, I guess, with any dog. Like there's something about a dachshund, right. you have to have a dachshund. And there's something about the West Highland White, you have yes. to have a Westie. And there are myriad reasons, right. reasons for that. And someday maybe we'll talk about slippery jeans. But as soon as I saw Border Collie, I had to have one. But it was that predatory stance. Yeah. There is something like right before this, you and I met, I, I took my dogs out to play Frisbee before, you know, because I have to. I right. have to take them out many times a day to play Frisbee. Um, and I saw it in Mick. It's it's in Mick more than in, it is in Maisie. And I get this little flutter when I see it. Um, it's that creeping, stalking, mm -hmm. wolfish yes. behavior. It's the predator gestalt. Okay. And other dogs have it, but it is so hardwired oh, yeah. in the border collie. It's that whole posture. Oh, I'd love to see that. You do. Oh, absolutely. So you know when what Buddy I mean. does that, it's by the pool. But when Buddy does that, we all go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My dogs look like the wolf in Red Riding Hood. It is this atavistic yeah. recognition of that dark and evil force in, in nature, in the wild, <laughs> that I need to understand to, so that I can stay safe. E.O. Wilson, Wilson talked about people who are actually about primates, just about the snake. Oh, yeah. The snake gestalt. Yeah. That we will, we see a snake, you're frightened, and then you're fascinated. Yes. And you will get to a safe distance, and then you will stare. There's just something so intense and beautiful about it. I don't know. When when Buddy does that. It is And I beautiful. will notice a border collie, because we'll, we'll say, oh, look, he's doing a thing. It doesn't go away. Like once once you're working with a border right. collie, you're you can't go back. Um, and people buy agility equipment, or they they end up paying a great deal of money to take herding lessons, and then they want to buy the farm, and then they want yes. to live on the farm. And it is common for women to, particularly women, to leave their husbands and buy sheep farm. <laughs> I like the border collie bend to it because it is it's a trait. And it was a working trait. And even though it was for trials, it what that was born out of yes, um, hurting. But if we go back to Michael Pollan, the uh, genes like the the apple seeds were pinging the universe, and one of them had just the right crisp, sweet. So the border collie. So all these herding dogs are out there, and they're pinging. Their genes are pinging the universe, and then old hemp happened to get seen. It was a visual thing, happened to get seen at a trial doing his magic. And then all the people at the trial were mesmerized. Right. They had never seen, they could not forget him. There was something, something happened in them, like for the gala. You bit into it, something happened. And now you always want gala. So that was how the border collie, I wouldn't say domestic, I think that's the wrong right. word. The border collie did not domesticate us. It found those people. Yeah. So the shepherds right. proliferated it all over the world. And then the right. soccer moms found it. So it's kind of hard to talk about dogs, I think I'm <laughs> concluding, without talking about the people who are attracted to the okay. breed because the breed serves some need yes. in them. Yeah. Who knew that housewives, American housewives, had the same thing going on as right. shepherds <laughs> in the 1890s Anglo-Scottish border region? Who well, we're, we're linked. Evolutionarily wise, and you know, you don't have a dog without a person, really. But you have right. You can have a cat without a and person. They don't care. They're <laughs> just fine. Thank you very much. No problem. I wonder. We have shaped yes. the dog. Oh yeah, obviously. So how have we changed because mm. we lived with dogs? I think 
I have a strong suspicion that there is a genetic predilection toward companionship with dogs. I think so too. And some people really are dog people, just like some people can play music. They have the gene. I think they've identified the gene for music. I think there's a probably a gene for interacting with dogs that was evolutionarily advantageous for many of the reasons you said. And I have it. Yes, you do. I love talking to dogs. That's why I like cats. I'm like, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. (laughs) I'll come find you when I want you. Anyway, I don't know if we've answered the question, who domesticated whom, or um, if they domesticated us. I think we're down the middle of things. Or that it was um, mutually beneficial. That's my vote. That's my vote. (laughs) I love this stuff, and I, I love talking about this stuff with you. It's very cool. Thank you for listening to me. Special thanks to Chip Salerno for our music. If you like this stuff as much as we do, please subscribe to our podcast and like us. It's a little click that's a big reinforcer. While you're at it, give us some more positive reinforcement, a favorable review. Just tell us what you did like and ignore the rest, as they say. That way, we'll know what to keep doing. Visit our website, thisanimallife.com, to learn more. And while you're there, check out our merch. We also sell Blue Nine climb tables and accessories. They are such a fun, useful, safe, and sturdy training aid. They make a huge difference. And you know what? At checkout, type in This Animal Life 10. That's This Animal Life 1-0 to get 10% off plus free shipping at checkout. That's an enormous savings. I think you're going to love it.